Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family. I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode. Okay, so we're delighted today to welcome Charlotte Hall from Speech Therapy with Charlotte, who we met over on Instagram, of course, where you meet all the best people. So welcome to our podcast, Charlotte. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to meet you both, finally. Oh, and you. It's really good to put a face to a name, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So just to start off, we'd really just love to hear a little bit about you and what you do and how you started and that kind of thing. Sure. Okay. So I'm Charlotte and I'm a speech and language therapist and I have been working in the NHS for a a really long time. I graduated when I was, I shouldn't say how old I am really, should I? Um, But (laughs) yeah, I was working in the NHS for about 14 and a half years and I've recently just decided to take a leap to set up my own venture, which is speech therapy with Charlotte. And part of that was because I've got two young kids and I feel like I wanted to have the opportunity to share a lot of the stuff that I do with my kids that I've learned through being a speech therapist. I feel like there's lots of things that have been really helpful bringing up two young kids and I kind of just wanted to have the opportunity and a bit more time to spread the message about how important speech and language development is for everyone and just be able to kind of reach more people than I was in my previous role. And I also, you know, had worked there a really long time and I always think change is a really good thing for everyone. It's quite a leap though, isn't it? It's quite a big thing to be NHS for 14 years and then go into your own business. It's exciting. It is really exciting and certainly wasn't something that I did lightly because I do love working in the NHS and have had so many fantastic colleagues for a really long time. But I think, you know, the world has presented us with lots of challenges in the last couple of years and I felt like the timing was right for me and my family for lots of different reasons and for me I think I was really ready for a new challenge and you know I'm still a speech and language therapist but I'm also now uh, you know CEO IT guy admin support I'm doing it all so it's it's interesting finance it's all yeah I'm the accountant (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's been an exciting time uh, for me it's exactly how we felt isn't it you kind of have all of a sudden you go from being like the specialist in one area to actually having to be the specialist in all areas. I know. And sometimes it's difficult, isn't it, when there's no one to blame for something else. Like, oh, IT aren't doing... Oh, no, no, I am IT. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Claire normally blames me, but there you go. (laughs) Well, at least you have each other in that way. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get into speech therapy? What was it that back 14, 15 years ago that made you think speech therapy was something that you wanted to get into? It's a really good question. And actually, my route into speech therapy is quite different from some other people. So most people that I meet professionally did it because they've had some contact with speech therapy themselves. So they've had experience of maybe a loved one or themselves going through speech therapy and then that's kind of inspired them into the job. For me, it was a bit of a different route. So when I was at school, I, for my A-levels, I studied art, French and maths. So quite a kind of combination of different types of subjects. And also in my um, free time, I've always done quite a lot of charity work. So I've really enjoyed kind of helping other people. So I was kind of at the point of doing my A-levels and looking at university degrees and thinking about what I might do. And I came across a speech and language, it's called speech and language sciences, the degree. 
and basically just thought that that sounded really interesting to me because it allowed me to be creative but also linguistic and a bit scientific and potentially have the opportunity to help people as well. So I kind of went into the degree initially just because it sounded interesting to me and then I did a four-year course which has got lots of clinical placements in it as well. So I kind of was just lucky, really, that it worked out to be a profession that actually was really interesting to me as well. And I took it from from there. Wow. So what is speech and language therapy? I think lots of us talk, particularly from my side of things, of working with children from a kind of nanny nursery perspective. We've always talked about the importance of speech and language and that interaction with children and reading books and exposing them to as much language as possible but what happens typically in that so it's a really just as a kind of profession as a whole it's a really broad profession so you have speech and language therapists basically our our key role is to support communication and also swallowing as well which lots of people don't know about so the anatomy that you use for communicating talking is similar to the anatomy used for swallowing and that's not something that I specialize in but as a profession we support communication and swallowing of all different ages so you'll see speech and language therapists working a kind of really from zero to very old and across lots of different clinical settings as well so I specialize in pediatrics so I work with children and I specialize in communication as well so we do I guess the kind of the classic thing that you might think about kind of in terms of when you're going to refer to speech and language therapy we are there to support children who have maybe difficulties with their communication development so we would be working with them but actually something that I do in my role which I kind of touched on already and, and you'll have seen if you follow me on social media is I also want to provide advice to everyone. We call that kind of universal messages. So we're thinking about not just supporting children who have communication difficulties, which I do do a large amount of, but also just for those who feel unsure as to how to support their child's communication development making sure that people know why speech and language development is important and also thinking about what people can be doing at home and in childcare settings to support those really early stages of communication development. And that's something that I'm particularly passionate about because as you guys will know, we know that the majority of brain development happens in the first three years of life. So that's the point where we can be really making a difference and communication development, it kind of underpins everything else it's how we access learning it's how we make friends it's how we learn to talk and describe our emotions so it really is kind of fundamental across the board to to all of your development what would be the most common reasons that somebody would get in touch with you to look for speech and language therapy and is it always you know I mean obviously you work in pediatrics and presumably what age does that go up to what would that be so I I have a couple of different roles. I'm actually involved in um, multidisciplinary autism assessments and that would go zero to 19. But in terms of the children that I tend to offer most support with, I tend to work to the end of the early years foundation stage. So that's kind of roughly six, six, seven years old. So I do really personally specialise in those kind of really early stages and one and a half to two and a half would be my my most favorite age to work with <laughs> so, so when they come to you what are the things the kind of things you're seeing from the children so a lot of the time when people are getting in touch 
historically particularly the key things that people would be saying to me is that either their child is presenting with quite challenging behavior that's often a reason why they might come to us and parents have this kind of gut instinct that maybe there's some sort of underlying frustration there because they're not communicating effectively with one another and then another thing that often people kind of it's much more visual easy to see is when people have concerns around pronunciation But actually, communication development is much broader than that. So there's lots of different skills involved in speech and language development, which include things like concentration, understanding what others say to you, being able to engage in interactions with other people, showing an interest in other people, being able to say words, put words together. It encompasses all of those things. And I think in the last couple of recent years, people have become a bit more aware that speech and language development does include all of those other things. So more and more, I'm getting people coming to me earlier on where they've maybe got concerns that their child hasn't started talking yet, or maybe even as babies, the babies aren't babbling yet. And that's really, really encouraging for me because that's my passion, letting people know that actually we want to be supporting these children really early on at a really young age as I said my favorite age to work with is one and a half and I think quite a lot of people are surprised that I might be considering working with kids at that age. I think it's also kind of speech language just that those words it makes out that it's all about words. I think it's that what can they say and what how many words can they say and I'm not sure it necessarily is as clear to you know lots of us that it does include like you've just said about swallowing that's something that I hadn't even really considered and I've worked with children for over 20 years so it's but it's that all that other thing isn't it it's that ability to communicate it's that ability to listen concentrate and like you say have interest in other people's conversation and that serve and return so you speak they you know whether it's a babble back or whether it's and I think it's much wider and much deeper than I think probably lots of us think it is and probably a lot more complex yeah it is complex and it does cover a lot of things and I think you know even friends and family of mine when I'm telling them what I'm doing at work every day there's often a lot of confusion as to how how is that your role as well as that your role so it is quite you know varied which for me is great because you know no two days are the same I think the things that really kind of underpin what we do as speech and language therapists is we're trying to support individuals to have effective and functional communication. So for some people, that means that we're working on their spoken language. So we're trying to, you know, help them to be able to maybe ask for a drink, or whatever it is that they need. But for other individuals, it might be that they're not ready for that kind of spoken communication. So we might also be giving them alternative ways to be able to request a drink. So if we just think about kind of typically developing younger children, we might be encouraging them to point to what they want or reach for what they want if they're not ready to tell you yet. But maybe for some older children who need extra support, we might be looking at things like teaching them signing system or how to use a communication aid to give them the opportunity to let you know what they want. So firstly, we're looking at establishing effective and functional communication. But in my role particularly, I also see, because I do work with a lot of younger children, I see a large part of my role to be empowering other adults to feel more confident that they know how to support their child's communication. So I do actually do a lot of coaching, training. I'm not always working directly with a child myself. I might be coaching other people to feel confident that they know how to do that. 
And then one of the other key things that really motivates me is that I want mostly parents, but also adults working with the children or other familiar adults to enjoy interacting with their kids because actually if you've got a child who is finding it difficult to communicate with you that can be really frustrating both for the child and for the parents so one of the key things that I'm really looking for and when I know that I've done a good job is when I see adults and children having fun and interacting together. I was going to say I suppose it has to be the parents and the carers that you're working with for children of that age because actually in terms of kind of having sessions with a child that age it's not going to be that effective is it it needs to be an ongoing support system absolutely so I always try and let parents know that that's my style when they're considering working with me because I just think it's so important to get people who know the children to do the stuff in their everyday environments because it's going to have the best impact sometimes families think that they want to bring a child to see a speech therapist in a clinic and drop them off but actually all that child's going to learn how to do is communicate with the therapist in the clinic and that's not very functional so we really want to help the children be able to communicate functionally with their real people in their real life environments and presumably sometimes there's medical things that you have to consider so I don't know, perhaps a cleft palate or something like that that might stop a child from being able to form their words properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's lots of different reasons why a child might have speech and language difficulties. So it could be linked in with a medical diagnosis or a medical physical difficulty, as you mentioned, cleft palate. It could be part of a syndrome or a known condition that a child has a speech and language difficulty. It could be part of a, an overall kind of developmental delay. So they might have difficulties in different areas of their development. But it is also possible just to have a speech and language difficulty in isolation as well. And that's something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. So it is possible to have a specific speech and language difficulty. And actually, it's the most common kind of developmental difficulty. Having a, a difficulty with a child's speech and language is the most common thing that you might find difficult. And in some parts of the country, there's up to 50% of children starting school with what is thought to be delayed speech and language skills. So it's a really prevalent thing and something that people need to know about, which is, you know, one of my drivers to shout the message from the rooftops because it's relevant to so many individuals. And I think it's coming back to that whole behaviour thing as well, that that's such an important aspect, particularly in the age group that you love, that kind of one and a half to two and a half, which is just such an amazing age to be around because they're just such little personalities. But when we're kind of doing any behaviour work with families, one of the things is, what's their language like? How, you know, how do they communicate? What's Because actually if they can't communicate effectively, it must be the most frustrating world for them with adults just telling them what to do or putting words in their mouth and so I always I always try and to kind of say when you go abroad and you're in a country where you don't speak the language and we're not great is the English side of things because we don't tend to learn lots of new languages whereas everyone seems to abroad but and you're trying to get your point across so you speak slower and louder I don't know why we go louder because <laughs> If you shout the word, it doesn't make it any easier for someone to understand if they don't. Un and I think that for me is when I watch children who are trying to tell us what they want or what they need and they have got adults who aren't quite sure how to respond, it can be hugely frustrating. And then it causes that real difficulty of behaviour at home. And I think 
speech is one of those first kind of things to look at, isn't it, in that respect? And you do get frustrated, don't you? I mean, I know that I've got a 15-year-old daughter. Although she she can communicate effectively, she talks really quickly, really quickly, to the point that, especially when she's got a lot to say, sometimes you just can't understand what she says. And then you say, oh, could you just sorry, could you just repeat that? It really is frustrating for her. And she's 15. And that, you know, for a little tiny one who actually can't even understand, what do you mean you can't understand me? You know, I I know what I want to say. That's so frustrating for them. And they can't tell you why either. Exactly. So at 15, obviously, you've got other things going on with all your hormones and stuff. But at 15, you've got those skills to kind of one self monitor, but two be able to kind of problem solve and recover situations, social situations when they've broken down. Whereas at two, you might not understand if somebody's saying to you they haven't understood because you don't really understand necessarily at that point that other people experience different thoughts and feelings from yourself. You also don't have the skills to kind of ask them what they're talking about. You don't really know why they haven't understood you. It is, it's just so frustrating and they don't have those kind of extra language skills to be able to negotiate that with you. Another thing to think about on this topic is is often behaviour is communication as well. They're one and the same thing. So often, you know, a tantrum or something could be actually a child trying to give you a message, whether that's I'm feeling a bit dysregulated and unsafe here or actually they're throwing the cup because they want it filled up. You know, usually that is a communicative behaviour itself. But we're triggered by things as adults, aren't we? And it's it takes a lot of time. And I think anyone who might be listening and is worried about their child's speech and language speech and language therapy is something that so many children and adults access because actually it's such an important aspect so it's not something for someone to be worried about that it's going to be ongoing you know how long does on average if a child comes very young to you know with speech and language how many sessions do they tend to have how long can it be how long, is, How a piece of long string? is a piece of string? It's so difficult to say. And it's a really, I would love to be able to give you that answer because that would be really useful for parents to know. All I would say is that as a profession, we're really trying to work towards a point of discharging your child. That's what we're doing. Like from the moment that we meet them, we'll be assessing them and working with the grown ups to set targets that the children need to work towards. So there'll be like little goals that like we want your child to be able to do X. And then we'll be regularly reviewing those goals basically we want to get to the point where they don't need to see a speech therapist anymore that's you know what we're trying to do it's a a unique profession really because we're trying to make ourselves redundant we want to get to the point where you don't need to see us anymore and so that's going to be as quick as possible and it is very common for children to have a bit of speech therapy and then be discharged it's not very common at all for children to need speech therapy for years and years and years and years it doesn't tend to work like that although of course there are cases where that's that happens and and then the other thing to say in that is as we talked about earlier the majority of brain development happens in the first three years and even in the first five years things are still developing and then after that of course the brain is still always growing and developing but with that the younger your child is the quicker the progress is likely to be so if you do actually go and receive that support in the first three years if not the first five years your child's likely to need fewer sessions than they are if you wait until they're school age okay And so what are the signs that a child, and this probably again is one of those kind of vast, it's huge, but what kind of signs would a parent or carer look for with regards to language and the need for speech therapy? 
So you basically are looking out for some key milestones early on. So as a baby, babies tend to babble. So they're making both consonant and vowel sounds that tend to happen in quite a repetitive way. So things like baba, mama, dada, those sort of strings of consonants and vowels together. And most babies tend to do that sort of between five and 10 months. So you can see there is some variation there, but we'd be really hoping sort of somewhere between five and 10 months that your baby's starting to make those kind of babbling sounds. That's a really important thing to look out for. We're also hoping that by one years old, they're showing some sort of indication that they recognize their name. That can be quite tricky to tell, but hopefully they might be able to look around or they might stop or they might smile or something if they hear their name. And then we're also hoping that they'll be able to use some gestures as well. That's a really important thing to look out for. So again, by one, children are generally using a few simple gestures. So they might be um, starting to wave, they might be starting to clap, they might reach their arms up to indicate that they want you to hold them. And that use of gestures is a really important predictor for overall communication development. So there's some things to look out for. And then there's lots of debate as to when children should say their first words. And that's because all children do develop at different rates but I would definitely say by about 16 months we'd be hoping that a child is saying something it might not sound like what an adult would say but we would know that their child is using that word consistently to mean the same thing in the same way and then one of the other key milestones that we're looking for is that roughly by about two years that's when children start to put two word combinations together so that's quite a handy one to remember because it's two words together by two years and that tends to happen when children have about 50 words in their vocabulary that seems to be the magic number so basically you just kind of want to be familiar with what those milestones are so that you can just see if you think that your child is on track and if your child isn't meeting those milestones and maybe if they've missed one of those milestones, but everything else seems to be fine, then you don't need to worry. But actually, if they're continually not hitting those milestones, it's good just to be proactive and make sure that you are supporting them in the best possible way. So the first thing that you want to be doing is educating yourself about the sorts of things that you can be doing at home to support their communication development. It's definitely a team effort. It's not a case of I need to be referred to speech therapy and and I don't need to do anything myself. As a parent or caregiver, you need to be kind of interacting with your child often. You want to be doing things like looking at books, singing songs together, playing little games like peekaboo, having those kind of really fun, meaningful interactions are really useful for supporting communication development. And there's lots of advice online about the sorts of things that you can be doing while you're talking and playing together to make the most of those interactions. So you can um, check out my social media pages and also on my website, I do run a course for parents as well, parents and professionals as well. So it's just an hour long session where I'll just talk you through some of those key things that you can be doing while you're interacting with children. And I always get parents to also just watch a video of themselves interacting with their child in there so that they can really kind of focus on what they're already doing to support their child and where they might want to go next with that. So that's the first thing, thinking about what you're doing at home. And then in terms of seeking professional help, the best people to talk to would be either your GP or your health visitor. And you might want to ask them about referring you to speech and language therapy. So speech and language therapy is available on the NHS. At the moment, I think they can be quite big waiting times, but obviously that varies depending on where you live in the country. So I would find out the information about what is available to you on the NHS. And there's lots of really good quality 
advice and support available through the NHS. So that would definitely be somewhere to go. You do also have independent therapists like myself who are offering support. So you might want to go to an independent therapist even just for an assessment so that you can find out whether or not you need to be concerned. The other thing that I would really recommend is if you do have any concerns that your child's not met any of those speech and language development milestones, a really good thing to do is get your child's hearing tested because it might be that they are not hearing appropriately. And I know that most babies get a newborn hearing screen, but hearing status does change over time. So if you've got any concerns about speech and language development, you probably need to get a hearing test as well. And you can do that by asking the GP to refer you to audiology. And this is a completely lay question, so Claire's probably shaking in her boots, but no, it's just really to ask whether the types of food that a child eats helps, you know, in terms of muscle development of, within their mouths. Is that, does that make any difference? So, for example, if a child is just purely being fed pureed food, let's say, are they not developing the right muscles for speech or is that just a completely stupid question? Children need to be encouraged to try different textures of food. And it's also really important when we're thinking about weaning to think about them drinking from an open cup versus a bottle because children do need to learn to use the muscles in their mouth for different ways. And as I said before, the muscles that we use for eating and drinking are the same muscles that we use for talking. So certainly we would want to be encouraging lots of different textures of food and to be drinking from an open cup as well as a bottle. And I think... Children do have dummies and that's absolutely fine. However, one of the things, and I don't know, I think actually we might have spoken about this over Instagram at some point, but actually the importance that if your little one is playing and it's not a sleep time and it's not for comfort because they're upset or hurt or unwell, that actually the dummy comes out so that the communication is is without the dummy. They're not talking around the dummy they're not kind of holding it in their teeth so that they are forming their words properly. But also it doesn't stop communication because actually if you have something in your mouth, you're not going to talk in the same way. But if you use a dummy for sleep and things like that, then it's fine because the communication is completely different at that point. But I, I think dummies coming out whilst playing or interacting or having a conversation, would you agree is something that is kind of to be promoted mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i agree with everything that you've said one of my kids did have a dummy the other one didn't and he used it for sleeping so he would have it when he was having a nap or having a sleep and they were the only times that he had his dummy we know that children need to do what we call vocal play when they're playing to develop their speech sounds so when they're babies they learn to babble and they vocalize and when they're playing they just make all sorts of different noises and that's really really important part of communication development so if a child has the dummy in their mouth they're not engaging in that vocal play they're not learning how to babble and it could impact on their speech and language development but having a dummy for nap time and sleep time is fine it's quite interesting I was with a little one yesterday and she's kind of at that pulling to stand stage and everything is a a challenge and she was trying to pull herself to stand and she was vocalizing that it was a bit tricky she wasn't crying she was just you could see in her little face and how she was, her vocalisations were, this is really hard, but I'm gonna do it. And it was funny because I watched the adult around her and because they had been distracted, they thought she was upset. So came along with the dummy. And I was like, oh, just hold on a second. Because I think what she's doing is trying to tell us, this is hard, but I'm gonna give it a good 
good go and she did it and then she stood up and she just went ah as though to say <laughs> I did it and I was like if we'd put the dummy in it would have stopped that for her and I think it's sometimes just pausing on those moments that she did have the opportunity to communicate and we could then congratulate her whereas actually she would have stood and we probably wouldn't have noticed that vocalization in the same way because she had a dummy in so I'm absolutely you know dummies are not a problem so don't but I think it's using them at the right times isn't it and and it's the same with a bottle ideally not having it hanging out of their mouth or them holding onto it with their teeth and talking because it just impacts quite a lot that scenario that you just the example that you just gave there just kind of reminded me about the importance of non-verbal communication and we say communication is so much more than words and it's it's all of those little things like the gestures that your child's using but actually often just the sounds and the facial expressions and stuff and actually the way that they're going to learn the words that are associated with those things is by adults interpreting and kind of modeling that back to them so it is really important also for us not just to be kind of throwing the dummy in all the time because actually it's a really important opportunity for communication and interaction to kind of take a step back look at what your child is trying to communicate with you or how they're even feeling and kind of model that back to the child saying like I know it's hard oh come on you can do it pull yourself up oh you pulled yourself up hooray you know that's such a beautiful opportunity isn't it for interacting and making sure that your language matches what the child is experiencing then and there and of course there are times when we need to calm children if they've got upset but actually we can do that in other ways and even at an early stage modeling to them something along the lines of like oh I'm sorry or sad that's really really powerful isn't it like just being able to talk to them about their emotions from a really early age rather than just like I can see they're sad in my head I can see that's so why I'm going to put the dummy in actually just modeling that to them it's a really important part of understanding those that vocabulary associated with emotions isn't it and it's such a lovely thing when you watch it and you do it and you suddenly go oh my goodness I've noticed that and this little one is just there going you got it you've done it you, you actually understood what I was trying to do and say and I think it comes back to that kind of connection isn't it and relationships and language is huge for relationships and those interactions like today we are all on video and it does make a difference because we can see each other and it's totally different when you can see people and have a conversation and have eye contact and all of those sorts of things it it does impact heavily on how we take that forward and makes a big difference. I loved it when you said about the vocal play as well. That's I've never heard that term before, but I think that's a really nice way of looking at it because it's things like those nursery rhymes that you do and that you see the children repeating back and joining in, don't you? And all of that is really good language development, isn't it? I think my daughter's first word was duck. <laughs> because we used to do five little ducks when swimming, you know, all the time. And that was kind of... I was a bit annoyed, to be honest. I thought it might be mummy, but never mind. (laughs) (laughs) But it just goes to show that power of repetition, doesn't it? And that's one of the most important things when interacting with a child. So one of my kids' first word was wow. And that's because we used to read this book called Wow Said the Owl all the time. So we repeated that over and over again. And it was very cute, actually, sitting on a beach on holiday. And he just started looking around going, wow, wow. He's the studious one. And then the second one came along. And obviously things were much more chaotic. They're quite close in age and her first word was bot bot meaning her bottom because we're always talking a lot at nappy changing time and so she got that one so brilliant (laughs) again that uh 
that repetition is key, isn't it? But the vocal play is really important. And um, I just wanted to kind of say that a lot of the things that are useful to do, people do naturally. And one example of this is when you have a baby and a baby is babbling to you, often caregivers will get face to face and copy back that babble to them. And then a child responds. And that's really important because it's encouraging that vocal play. And it's also teaching children how to have a really early conversation. So they do something and their adult will do something back. And then it's their turn again. And a lot of the time, the things that are useful for supporting speech and language development are instinctive and natural. But people don't always realise that what they're doing is helpful. So part of my job is almost just to point out what people are doing that's really good so that they can do more of it. And that's why having on your Instagram page, having all that kind of advice, because when I had my twins when, you know, 15 years ago, there wasn't any of that. And actually, all the things you've said to me, I'm like, oh, my goodness, that would have been so useful knowing all of that kind of stuff. The fact that, like you say, you're babbling back to your baby. I mean, you don't even realise what an amazing thing that's doing in terms of helping their language development until you hear somebody like you saying it. You're like, oh, yeah, actually great I really agree and I really just felt so privileged bringing up my kids that I kind of knew a lot of this stuff and I kind of knew what to do in certain situations and that was really my driver you know like there'd be things that I'd be doing or I use lots of visual supports as well so I'd have some visual supports on the fridge and people would come over for play dates and say what are you doing why are you doing that that sort of thing I just thought actually yeah I want to be able to share that with as many people as possible because actually that could make a really big difference to so many children and we know that it's a, a big issue for so many children. So. Well, and potentially prevent people from having to do the whole speech and language thing because they know they know what they need to be doing. Exactly. They've already got the, the tools in their toolkit. If children are forming their words and they're saying children give names or say it in a funny way that is really cute and it's that whole thing of do you leave them saying it because it's really cute and all the adults start calling it that as well? Or do you use the correct term and encourage the correct terms? What is the kind of right thing to do? It's a really good question. So basically what we know is that when adults repeat back what a child says, it reinforces it. So that could be good or not good, depending on what your opinion is. So if a child says cup, they've seen a cup and you go, oh, cup, you're reinforcing for them that this is the word for something is a cup. So we can use that reinforcement in a really positive way to try and praise and encourage children to use those words more often. So if a child's kind of got a pet name or a made up name for something and we as adults start to use that too, it's going to reinforce that that's what that name is. And in some situations, that's absolutely fine. It can be quite cute. But what you always need to kind of be thinking about is that your child's not going to be at home with you all the time for the rest of their days hopefully and so you need to also prepare them for going out and interacting and communicating with other people so if they've got a pet name for something that's really unrecognizable to anyone else that might mean that they don't have that effective communication later on so if they're going to be going to a nursery and they're going to be asking for a doc doc which means milk no one's going to understand that so actually you do need to probably in that sort of situation rather than repeating and reinforcing that cute word doc doc actually be modeling the word milk for them so you're not correcting them you're not going to be telling them they got it wrong but every time they say doc doc you can just say milk so that they can hear what the correct pronunciation is for them so you're kind of in that situation being like I've understood you but this is how you would say it another time yeah and talking from a practitioner point of view sometimes you are completely 
just stood looking at his child going, I have no <laughs> idea what you're trying to tell me. And it's so hard for the child and so hard for the adult when they they keep saying the same word over and over and over and over. And you're there going, I don't know. I've always gone, show me. Can you show me? Take me to it. Point to it. What might it be? But it's it's that whole thing of sometimes it can actually create so much frustration in an environment that particularly if they've started nursery it's a big thing for them alone and then if they can't communicate their basic needs or wants then it can be quite tricky for them can't it so I would also say if they do have funny names for different things put them in your all about me form that you fill in at nursery so at least there's something to refer to (laughs) that's so important yeah that show me is such a powerful one actually that's a really good point for anyone who is either works with kids or you know maybe you don't always understand what child's saying show me is a really powerful tool so just if the child is trying to tell you something ask them if they can show you if you've understood part of what they say to you that can be really helpful as well say something along the lines of I know you're telling me about the dog what was it about the dog because it really shows that you're trying to understand what the child has said and of course saying can you tell me again that would be really helpful as well the worst thing that we can be doing if we haven't understood a child which lots of us do I'm guilty of having done this occasionally particularly when I'm in a rush is your child says something that you haven't understood and you go yeah we do it all the time you (laughs) pretend like you've understood and you didn't and actually for a child who is getting frustrated that they're not getting their message heard that just is not motivating them to communicate with other people. And that communication motivation is so important because practice makes progress. So we want children to feel confident enough to keep trying to communicate with people because if they do, they're going to get better at it. So if we fob them off with kind of a dismissive, (laughs) yeah, I understand, um, then they're just going to get annoyed and just be reluctant to try it again another time. I've done that before, though, but with adults, and yes. it's, you, they get, they tell you all this information and you're like, mm-hmm, yep, yep. <laughs> and then you stop the conversation or put the phone down and then you go, hmm, yeah. <laughs> well, the um, problem is they refer back to what they've said and then you're yes. like, I have no idea what you were talking about. Or it's, why is it you stop and ask for directions? And you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, great, perfect. You, write, you put your window back up and you go, I haven't got a clue. I've no got to go and ask someone else now. No clue. <laughs> <laughs> and that you can see them going no 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 that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. so just in terms of if somebody has a feeling that they might need speech and language therapy what would you say the route should be I mean obviously the first thing they need to do is go and follow speech therapy with Charlotte obviously, obviously. Um, on Instagram but yeah. if they were sort of sitting at home and thinking oh goodness now I've listened to this podcast I can see that I might need some speech therapy do they talk to their doctor first what or health visitor what is the what's the route yep so GP or health visitor would be a good place to start if you feel like you've got a better relationship with one over the other either would be great Speech therapy is also what we call an open referral system and lots of people don't know that. So that basically means that you can self-refer. So you don't necessarily have to go via the GP or the health visitor. That's quite helpful to know if you feel like you don't have a particularly good relationship with either your GP or your health visitor or maybe you've got quite a busy life and you feel like that would be one extra appointment to book in. Usually what you can do is just um, use your 
preferred search engine of choice to um just look for speech and language therapy or speech therapy we kind of use those terms interchangeably so speech therapy and then the area in which you live so if you put that into the search engine you'll usually find that there's a web page that might give you some information about how to access the service locally so in some places for example there might be like a drop-in play group that you could go to to talk to a speech therapist or there might be a referral form that you can fill in online to try and get an appointment or there might be a phone number so that's probably a good place to start as well You can obviously try asking other local parents as well. But what I would say is that the information that other parents give about waiting times and stuff isn't always the most up to date or accurate. And also, you know, the NHS is stretched, but really services are constantly striving to provide a better service. So it may be that somebody last year had an experience where maybe the waiting times were quite long, but maybe the service has adapted now to respond to that. And maybe there is an opportunity for those waiting times to have got shorter. So I would sort of say, go to the go to the source directly to find the information rather than just kind of hearing what other parents have to say about it. A lot of people do use a combination of NHS and independent speech therapists and that's great that's you know teamwork teamwork makes the dream work as we like to say in my family so I would say get yourself on an NHS list if you feel like you need speech and language therapy find out what the waiting times are like but also look to see what other support you can get whether that's through kind of online forums or seeing a speech therapist independently as well wow amazing I think we've covered so much And it's definitely something that so many people hopefully will find really helpful. And yeah, it's been brilliant. Maybe we'll have to do another one. There's so many other aspects. Lots of families ask about stutters and stammering and things like that. So maybe that's another podcast for the future. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. I've really enjoyed it. Everything you said has been so on point and so useful. I mean, as a parent listening, like I said, you know, I just think I wish I'd had somebody like you to listen to and go to. So just on that point, where can people get in touch or follow you and that kind of thing? We've mentioned it a couple of times, I think. Yeah, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Speech Therapy with Charlotte. I also have a website, which is www.speechtherapywithcharlotte.com. Okay, perfect. Oh, thanks ever so much, Charlotte. And I'm sure we'll be seeing you on Instagram very, very soon. Yes, thanks so much for having me, guys. I've really enjoyed it. And I love the podcast, so I'm going to keep listening. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) That's everything for today. Thanks for listening. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, we'd love you to get in touch and let us know. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Bespoke Family or head to our website. The links are in our show notes. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear. We're Bex and Claire and we'll be back soon with another episode of Newborn to Teen and everything in between. See you then.